Welcome to Back to Base, the official podcast of SAS Who Dares Wins. I'm Andrew McLean, and over the next six weeks, I'm going to be joined by celebrity guests, former contestants, DSs, uh, as we react to the TV show that basically plunges viewers headfirst and also backwards into the most intense military training on earth. Go, move it, move. There's no characteristic or flaw that won't be exposed. Walk out until I say stop. We're gonna fucking ground, ground properly. Right, let's get this show on the road. We're gonna be diving into the most extreme moments of every episode, talking to SAS insiders about the physical impacts these endurance tests can have on the body and the mind, and also telling you how the intense environments and challenges of SAS Who Dares Wins can be applied to your everyday life. This week, I'm joined by ex-military adventurer Ed Stafford, who you'll know from Channel 4's 60 Days on the Streets, stripping his kit off for other shows, and uh, who in 2010 became the first person to walk the length of the Amazon. SAS Who Dares Wins doctor Sandeep Chohan will tell us all about the physical and the mental tolls involved in this week's episode. We'll also be speaking to one of this year's DSs, but the recruits don't know he is one yet. Yes, that is right. We have got the mole himself to give us insights from the inside. So strap on your boots, get your bergen, and join us back to base. So SAS Who Dares Wins had its first series back in 2015 and is now on this, its fifth one. In the show, recruits are stripped of their identity and assigned a number before being pushed through a version of one of the most gruelling military training regimens in the world, SAS Selection. This is designed to test every inch of the recruit, physically and mentally, to see if they've got what it takes to join the elite fighting force. So far, there have been four normal series of the show, with this being the fifth, and one celeb series for Stand Up to Cancer, which I was on alongside Olympic gold medalist Victoria Pendleton, England rugby player Ben Foden and former Chelsea footballer Wayne Bridge, who went on to complete the show and loads of others. The last normal series of the show was the first to have a mix of men and women to reflect the MOD decision to welcome women into special forces selection for the first time in Britain in 2018. This was obviously reflected in my series of the celeb version of the show and is carrying on into the current series. So now it's time to recap on the first episode of this series of SAS Who Days Wins. And I'm joined by Ed Stafford, who's a former British Army captain. Now, Ed, you have made numerous documentaries where basically you've removed most of your clothing. I'd say Uh. all of your clothing, which is why we thought we'd get you in to talk about this episode, which is called Exposure. (laughs) Yeah, I have. I mean, the original concept, as much as it was obviously quite a good marketing ploy to do a naked survival show, was... um, when you've actually got absolutely nothing to help you and you're stripped of all your clothes and any knives or any food or anything like that and and you're having to start from scratch, you're really having to dig deep inside your own psyche to come up with solutions but also just to get over that horrible vulnerability of the fact that you've got no clothes on as well. So, yeah, I do feel like I've, um, I'm in a good position to be able to evaluate this uh, this episode, actually. Yeah. Well, that obviously we can we can start with that one. In the first thing that we see is obviously the, the, the hugely barren and aggressive land of, of Scotland, which we'll, we'll get into that in just a second, mm. but is the recruits literally jumping into freezing cold water, swimming to shore, and then stripping down. Yeah. What would you say the purpose of doing that is? I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a shock factor at the beginning. I think it's a deliberate weeding out the people who are who are 
not prepared um, emotionally, physically. Um, the going into that sort of cold water is it's obviously a pretty unpleasant thing, and yet inherently, if you look at it. Nobody's going to come to any harm, you know. They get a bit chilly, and and it's just weeding out the people who haven't really thought this through. I would have thought, yeah. Is is that what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I think there were two, weren't there? That um, in that initial uh, briefing that they said, like, you've not earned your number. Go go back through that door. I mean, absolutely crushing for them. But I mean, there are a lot of Walter Mitties in this world. There are people who think. Do you know what? I could be in the SES, I'm super tough, and they look in the mirror and they might well have a good body, but that doesn't mean that they've got the mental resilience or the toughness or the resourcefulness or all sorts of qualities that, that clearly you do need to uh, to pass these sort of tests, yeah. The, the DS has said as well that if you can operate there, you can operate anywhere, and obviously they're, they're talking about Scotland. Yeah. In, in terms of the, the environment itself, I mean, there's, there's big characters in SAS and they are predominantly, the, you know, Ant, Foxy, Ollie and, and Billy. But I think in this series more than any other, actually, there's a, there's a fifth character, which is the Scottish weather, the Scottish terrain. How yeah. big a part do you think that plays? I think it's huge. I think um, Foxy's right in terms of when he said, um, if you can survive there, you can survive anywhere. It's... it's um, it's pretty much Arctic conditions, Scotland. Everyone thinks because it's attached to England that it can't be that bad and it's just like a bit of a England but colder. Absolute rubbish. I mean, it is really, really horrible conditions. All sorts of people can get caught out. Scottish mountains in particular are just horrific in terms of the degree to which things can get serious very, very quickly. I I, um, I remember I did a, a mountain leader course to become a mountain leader back in the day in um, Snowdonia National Park and the winter courses run up in Scotland and it's extraordinarily revered um, amongst climbers and walkers and, and ex-military people because it is so cold and miserable up there. Yeah, And I think also it's not just the extremes of weather, it's the fact that it just rains and rains huh. and rains and rains. And you're, const- you're, you're waiting for a moment, you're waiting for it to clear. And actually it's the fact that that grinds you down, the weather in itself. Yeah. It's not that difficult and yet it is the repetitive having to put yourself in an uncomfortable position time and time again. And I think that's exactly why they're nailing this down in the programme, is that you don't want somebody who's thinking about themselves. You don't want somebody that's thinking about their own comfort. Because we all do in everyday life. You've got to go beyond that and understand, again, what the DS are talking about, which is everyone coming together collectively as a team, knowing that they can trust each other around them, knowing that they're going to put the team before their own comfort which is really rare in modern day life. Who's standing out for you? Because there's a, there's a couple of characters that, you know, already are being focused on. Obviously, you've got Jerome. He's already said that he wants to be a leader. That's the only place that he can, he can see himself yeah. being. You've got Mark, who's a, who's a drag queen, but his dad was in the army. He, was, he said he's army. Yeah, he was in the SAS. Yeah. And there's Kirsty, <clears throat> who she's out to prove that she's better than men. I think Mark seems to be doing quite well. I, I, I know that he amused the DS, didn't he, when they, they read out the stuff about him being a drag queen. Um, I think Kirsty, yeah, very very sort of defiantly wants to prove that women can be just as tough as men. Um, it's early days, though, isn't it? It's early days. All Everyone's going to have nerves in those stages. Even at the moment, I get, I get dropped into these environments and have to survive. And, and it, because it's a new environment, none, none of these recruits have seen this part of Scotland. They don't know what the tests are going to be that day. Invariably, you're always scared of the unknown, aren't you? And then they're getting put through stuff that is pretty difficult anyway. Um, I think they're always going to be making mistakes early on, but um, 
I definitely give them all room for allowing uh, being, allowing them to make those mistakes and moving on. You mentioned Kirsty, who mm. uh, she wants to prove that she's better than men, and then obviously she struggled in one of the tasks, and yeah. Ant seemed to be coming down particularly hard on her. Um, you know, Ant's been fairly outspoken in the past before about women being in the SAS. Right. Do you think he's maybe being a little bit tougher on her, or just the same as he would be to anybody? No, I think I think she knew that by writing what she wrote in the essay, she was going to be, you know raising the red flag there as far as Ant was concerned and I think you know she wants to do that she's she's clearly ballsy she's clearly um taking taking that uh, sort of challenge head on um will she get more flack from him probably yeah yeah I don't think he's going to sit on the fence and go oh well, let's give everyone a fair chance you know I, weirdly SAS selection doesn't really work like that is it shouldn't should it shouldn't it it's weird isn't it when when we had young potential recruits coming into the military, especially officers, they'd come into the officers' mess and and um, we'd always give them a few beers and there was this element which, looking back on it, is like, is this unprofessional or is this not unprofessional? But it was to try and work out who are the, you know, the good eggs and it's not all about being physically the best and it's not all about being mentally the toughest. You've actually got to be a good bloke as well. One of the most symbolic parts of SAS Who Does Wins is a backwards fall. Right. And this is where we really saw Ant losing it because in this instance it was Kirsty who who uh, who who couldn't do it. What does it feel like when you feel like you've let your team down? Because this is what in this episode was different to any other. There are three of you that all have to go at exactly that same point. So you've not mm. just let yourself down; you've let your team down. I think it feels horrible, and I think that's why they're doing it. Um, again. When I joined the army, the first um, the first few weeks in basic training, um, if one person messes up, you know, every everybody suffers the consequences. If one person's late for parade, everyone else is doing press ups until that one person arrives, and and it's good because it 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 trains you to think as a team. It th trains you to put the team before you, um, and therefore I think it's um, yeah, it's not surprising that they're focusing on that. Yeah. Do you think that was the, the, the reason why they've changed it? Because pre previously to this, it's all, it's been a solo thing where you are literally just overcoming your own individual fear. Do you think that's why they've changed gear? I think there's different evolutions of, of people's um, self-development, I suppose. I think you need to get to a, a state of self-reliance in order to work well in part of a team. However, the series is evolving. It's been running for quite a few years now. So if you're just focusing on self-reliance, then that's... I suppose it runs a bit dry to evolve it more to actually make it give it a bit more depth and give it a bit more relevance to the real SAS. I'm not surprised, therefore, that they're coming round to this. It's not just about being the toughest guy who can work on his own. You actually need to be working as part of a team. It makes it more relevant, actually, more realistic. Yeah. In this series, yeah. they've changed things up a little bit, and mm -hmm. and we've had it before where there has been uh, a mole. In the camp, but the viewers have known about. In this instance, it, it, it was a, it was a woman, and then obviously it's revealed later on to the recruits. This time round, there is a mole in the camp, and as viewers, we don't necessarily know who this person is. What do you think the purpose is of putting a mole in with re the recruits? I think there is there is definitely a different way that the recruits will portray themselves in front of the DS than they will in front of each other. And I think um, Foxy's comment about uh, you know we're we're putting the cat amongst the pigeons, therefore you need to stir it up, is exactly that. They want to understand the real characters, not the characters that the uh, contestants actually are trying to present, but the ones that they really are. And so I think by putting that mole in, 
he'll understand the real story. He'll understand the stuff that, that they're all coming out with when the cameras are turned off and when the DS are not there. And I think, yeah, it's very, it's very shrewd, actually. It's a good idea. How do you think they will cope with the sense of betrayal? Because someone who they thought was one of them has turned out to be working for the other side, if you like. Maybe, yeah. There might be a few feathers ruffled by this. They may think it's a bit unfair. But um, I think it's great. I think it's a brilliant way of getting a, a further insight. Now I'm going to speak to Dr. Sandeep Kohan, a medical doctor and former chief medical officer for selection for the Ministry of Defence and all-round good guy. Dr. Sandeep has worked on the show since 2015 as a medical consultant and so works closely with Ant and the other directing staff, advising on the physical and mental extremes the recruits are pushed to. He has a uniquely fascinating angle into what the recruits are all going through and what the DS are testing and what he and the DS are looking out for to see who's got what it takes and, crucially, who hasn't. I'm also super excited to speak to him because I spent a long time with him uh, when I got hypothermia during my experience on the show. So, Sandeep, hello. Hi, Andrew. Good to hear from you. Yes, I'm in... Canada at the moment, and it is minus 15 outside. So. Oh, my <laughs> word. But you're an SAS man. That's, that's nothing for you. So I got your letter. I was going to say uh, that there was no way for me to say thank you for it, but it was a very nice letter. I've still got it with me. Oh, that's... Do you know, yeah. it, one of these things, I was laughing about it with myself afterwards. I'm so polite that I send thank you notes to... <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I, 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 I like it. I, you know what? I, I think what it was is I was rooting for you because I, I for the exact same reason. I wanted something different, right? I, yeah. I didn't want the same, you know, kind of uh, elite level athletes winning and everything else. And you showed exactly what I wanted to show, which is actually you can be older than the normal recruit and you can be different. But actually, to be a warrior, you don't need to carry a weapon. It's the mindset. And that is what you brought through, right? And oh, that's you. what I wanted to uh, bring to the, you know, bring to people that are watching the series, right? And I think, you know, I, I always say to people, you know, people like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and everybody else, right? They, they never carried a weapon. You know, people like Mother Teresa, she's a kind of little old woman. And look at how much in, impact she had in the world through her, you know, mindset. And it was a warrior mindset. And I think, you know, that's where people get confused. You know, it's they think that if you pass through selection, you have to be this butch Rambo-esque figure. But actually, you don't, you know, and uh, you've met the guys, right? And yeah. some of them are Rambos, right? Yeah. Boxies, for example. <laughs> but, but some of them, like Billy, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't yeah. know anything different. He's the most humble guy that you'd meet, right? And, yeah. and I think uh, that that's why I like the series, because actually you see guys that you think, nah, Milo was a good example in yeah. the last series, actually. Yeah, exactly. you know, you think, no way on this planet. I think he worked in some sewage plant somewhere. You'd never think he would make it to the end. And yeah, he did, and he which did. is great, actually. Yeah, which is great. So, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. Obviously, you know, dealing as a medical professional, you're used to extreme training and, and all, all this sort of things. How, how do you reset your expectations in dealing with with? soldiers in the battlefield, SAS men working in the, in, in the field, and people who are taking part in a TV such, such like this, how do you reset so that you know to look out for when somebody is, is struggling and they're at the absolute limit of their capabilities? You know, this is a, a tricky one. And I think this is, a lot of it is going to be surveillance and listening to what people say. But the one thing that has surprised me through every single series has been the resilience of people that we would consider as civilians. Right? And I think 
you know, and, I, and I thought about it a lot. You know, people have really surprised me. You've got people that are kind of accountants in middle England, and they're doing really, really well, and they've had no special training. To get to a selection uh, phase in the UK military, you would have had years of training, you've had deployments, you've had recommendations, you would have proved yourself. So for these guys, you know, to do what they do in the series is quite remarkable, actually. And and then you will get people that drop out early, but then you'll get people that you just never expected just to keep on pushing. And there was always this thing about what is it that it takes for someone to pass through selection. And it was someone asked me to sum it up in one line once, and I thought it was a ability to absorb insane levels of human suffering and people do seem to have that in different phases of life in different ages genders um just that ability to absorb what goes on and just keep on going and that's and for me and certainly when we were filming the series out in chile that was a difficult one because people kept on pushing and pushing and pushing until they became really quite unwell um but i guess that shows the a triumph of the human spirit. When you mentioned the word observing. When you're standing yep. back and you're and you're watching these recruits and they're they're out in the field, what is it you're actually looking for? Are you looking for physical symptoms of perhaps they they've reached their limit, or is it more subtle than that? Are you looking for mental symptoms? What what it is is that none of these things happen suddenly, unless you have you know a big accident or a fall all these things build up over a period of time so partly you'll be listening to what they're saying before in the build-up to what's going on partly you'll be you know I'm, I, I was always in contact with people and watching what was happening anyway so you kind of know about the underlying medical conditions psychological issues as well a lot of it is prediction and that's what that's what I did you know I kind of thought this is the background this is going to be their triggers whether they be physical um, you know they could Someone could come in with back problems, right? And they could be carrying heavy weights up a mountain, and you know that they're going to have issues. But some of them will be more subtle. There'll be subtle triggers for psychology in terms of psychological trauma. Sandeep, can you think of an example where you have, you've waited, you've observed, and then you've decided yeah. now is the time to intervene? Yeah, so, you know, and, and this is, you know, not a gender question, but what I did find actually in Chile was a lot of the girls um, that were on the, show were pushing themselves beyond the point that I felt was safe and they just kept on going and going and going and you know a lot of uh, the, the kind of elite units have this do or die mentality um, where they just keep pushing and pushing until they literally collapse and there have been occasions whereby people have collapsed in the series and it's been kind of a simple faint but there have been times when people are really making themselves ill but they won't withdraw themselves and that those periods you know and that is when I will intervene um, when it actually does become unsafe for them it's very much sort of seen in life that you know if you're if you're going to succeed if you're going to be a champion you need to push and push past the point of pain past the point of you know mental anguish and this sort of thing but would you say that actually the strongest ones are the ones who know to hold a little bit back and step back when they're when they're feeling that their reserves are getting low so that they can push forward more strongly perhaps the next day Absolutely. I think the key thing is to avoid burnout. And I think w with something like this, you, you've got the kind of the short, intense phases where you're, um, say, you really need to push yourself for an hour or two. But when you're looking at days and days and days and days, then you do need to keep hold back. 
and you do need to pace yourself. And you do. And what the other thing that's critical is the kind of rest and recovery phase. You can't be on this hypervigilant state where you're just full of adrenaline all the time, um, because then that just slowly eats away at you. And in, in some people, that that's when the mind games kick in, right? When you're kind of always on edge, you're never resting. You're always w- waiting to go, or, or you're always on the go. You, you, your capacity to endure the environment, to endure what's going on, is hugely limited. Actually, it's, so it's it's about having the right level of go when you need to. But yes, absolutely, holding back is the other part of it, and knowing when to apply yourself and when to rest as well. Sandeep, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Andrea. Look after yourself. Thank you. Okay, we are now joined by a very special guest who is going to help us dive deeper into the experiences and the challenges that the recruits are going through on this series of SAS Who Dares Wins. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say your name. So shall I just call you The Mole? The Mole sounds good, yes. The Mole sounds good. (laughs) Informant, I prefer informant. Oh, do you? Okay. Mole's a bit sneakier. (laughs) How did you feel when when you joined the recruits? Did did you feel like you were going to be betraying them at any point or were you just thinking that this is this is my role this is what I'm here to do I'm not going to get involved I'm here to do a job Yeah I think primary I was a, a DS um with a role of of going in as a mole and trying to figure out who are the hard workers and who are not the hard workers um so yeah I think personally I think I had a cover story which was a factory worker from Preston um, which I actually did as a job prior to joining the army. And I think for me, it was about getting that right and not getting uh, rumbled as the mole. You know, it's something that we train whilst in the special forces to remain covert. Uh, so kind of I baseline myself within the group of recruits, kind of figure figure out kind of where the average sits and then try not to be too good or not trying to be too rubbish because they obviously draw attention to yourself mm. and trying to just sit as like the average Joe kind of character, or, or as we would call the grey man. Were you nervous? Yeah. Funnily enough, the, like the initial meet period, you know, you're almost living a lie, aren't you? So mm. um, initially to get those initial introductions out the way, a little bit of nerves, but I think, you know, it's quite natural being nervous going into something like that. Once it got started... And obviously it started with a bang, with everyone leaping off the boat and, and into the water and running up the hill. Did you feel like, I'm all right now, I'm in my environment, now I've just got a job to do? Yeah, sure. I mean, everything just clicks in um, as soon as you're doing kind of the, the tasks. So, you know, kind of looking around and seeing who, who are the weak characters, seeing who are the like inquisitive characters, gauging where I sit within the group. And then, yeah, as soon as we we kind of did the opening scene and, and jumped off the boat, that was that was me, like, in it kind of thing. Now, Ed, Ed and I were talking earlier about exposure. Now, obviously, exposure is the is the name of, of this episode. And clearly, there's that first moment where the recruits have to totally strip off and their name is taken away. Everything that belonged to them and their sort of normal lives is taken away. How important is that as part of the, the recruitment experience? Very important. All these people have like a past life um, and they've all come on the show for various reasons. And... and you want to almost strip them back to their to their bare essentials and strip them back to you know mm. 
they're essentially now a recruit and a number and that's it. And we will judge them as DS on being that that recruit and that number and that's it. It doesn't matter what they've done in their previous life, what job role they had, what kind of athletic prowess they had. They are literally number whatever. How how similar is that to real recruitment processes? I think, you know, when you first join the army, um, very similar as in you join, you know, initially you get given, it was a set of Ron Hill long johns and a maroon jumper when I joined the parachute regiment. And everyone had the kind of same same uniform. Uh, you probably remember this. Yeah. Um, you don't get given any combat uniform. You just get given these these blue old school Ron Hills and these this maroon jumper. You get your head shaved to like a number two. You have to shave your beard. It's all that uniformity and kind of stripping back who you were to build up to who you will be when you leave. It's deliberately humiliating in a, in a way. I mean, stripping off, it's making you very vulnerable mm. just physically, isn't it? And and it, But it's done for a reason, isn't it? It's like, I also think that, I was look back, I, I went through Sandhurst and um, the amount of sleep you got, certainly in those first five weeks, is like three hours a night or something. Just enough to, you're sort of borderline going nutty by the, you know, the end of week five. But, but it's done in order to reprogram you, isn't it? It's mm. done so that you break down the old version of you and suddenly you realise that you can, I don't know, you you do well as a platoon in the march and shoot competition or you can you do drill well or, or you, you have successes within the context of a military environment and you start almost reprogramming your brain to be proud of behaving in certain ways. And it's fascinating. I think, I think stripping the recruits physically naked is, is a really, you know, it's not just a... It's not just a televisual thing and it's done to make them, you know, to see everyone's bodies. It actually physically, I mean, I, I remember the first time I got did a survival program, it was naked. So I had to, the producer went, right, take your shorts off and step out of the boat and go onto the island. And I just felt like a prat, quite frankly. You know, I just, I, I, just, I just literally want to wrap a towel around myself and stuff. And I think that vulnerability makes everything so much harder. Because if I'd gone on with a pair of boots on, a pair of trousers and jacket, I could have run around the island organising stuff, but... Something about stripping someone physically naked, which I can see why they do it. I think it's um, it just makes it that much more intense. Don't you think? Yeah, and it's it's making everyone equal from the start. Yeah, you know, it's making everyone exposed and making everyone at the same you know same point for the for the start kind of thing. And everyone gets that fair opportunity of you are this person, and then we will see who you are at the end or yeah. wherever you get to. Now, Ed, you spoke earlier about uh, teamwork and obviously yeah. the fact that, yes, you are an individual when you arrive there, everything is stripped away, but it's it's the importance of putting the team first and your own needs second. Is this something that you were looking out for as the mole, as to how well people were prepared to work as a team and put their, their own needs second? Yeah, definitely. That's a very important aspect of, of working within a special forces unit is, um, you know, you're looking for those people who essentially do the difficult jobs when you're tired, when you've not had much to eat. Um, they're the characters that will be there at the end. Now, there, there's a part of uh, this episode that is seen for the first time in SS Who Does Wins, and it's called The Insertion Method. Talk us through that. Um, so, yeah, this is a Ship Underway. It is an insertion method used to get onto a, a ship or a boat. Um, you will take... Uh, ribs so the 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 special force operators will be on ribs they pull up to the back of a boat this should all be done at night time so on on night vision goggles so that the ship that you're approaching can't see you come in uh, and you essentially pull onto the back of the ship um 
I'm SAS, so I think this is called a hull, but I'm not sure. I don't know whether that's the front or the back. <laughs> <laughs> the it's back the, of the It's shirt. the stern. There you go. <laughs> I jump out of planes. But, uh, <laughs> so you pull it to the back of the, the stern of the boat um, and someone will uh, fix caving ladders. So small, really thin, wiry, um, you know, fiddly uh, ladders to the, the back of the stern. Must blow about. Yeah, so, you, you know, depending on the sea state, and the sea state is usually pretty pretty hairy so you'll end up with the boat going up and down um at the back of the ship and i, I kind of remember the first time i ever did a, a ship underway the front of the rib was actually going underneath the boat every time the the ship went down um so yeah you're on this kind of small inflatable craft next to this huge kind of steel structure and it's can be very daunting um, but you essentially put the caving ladder on and then one by one you'll crawl up the caving ladder uh, onto the top of the deck and then kind of commence the assault of the ship. Mm. That sounds incredibly physically dif- difficult as well as mentally challenging because you're having to overcome, obviously, the, the fear of falling into the water, the, the fear of you're, you're against a you know this huge boat. Why do you think it was introduced in this series? What do you think they were hoping to see? Um, you know, it's, it's a, a legitimate infill method, infill method of, of the Special Forces, it does pull out, you know, you've got to be quite switched on to get up there. Um, you know, the you know the kind of fear aspect of climbing on side a massive steel structure whilst being out in the cold ocean at night time. You know, a lot of the recruits won't have done this and a lot of recruits, you know, won't have even been in a rib um, in the ocean, let alone climb a caving ladder on land, let alone climb a caving ladder on the side of a ship. Yeah. In, in in really rough sea conditions. How so. did you do? I was all right. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> sure you were. I had to pretend to be a bit nervous just so that I fit in with the mole, uh, <laughs> the mole role. But um, no, that was fine for me. But even that's a really interesting aspect in that, you know, a lot of the people who will take part, they'll have trained for this. You know, they're really physically fit men and women. When you get to this stage and you're doing things like, you know, insertion method and you're trying to get on board a boat, do you have to hand yourself over to the point that you can only train so much as a civilian? There are certain things that you will never know what it's like to do unless you go through SAS training like this. Yeah, a million percent. That's why we put them through those specific um, infill methods. Um, you know, you, you can't train for that. You can train as a civilian physically, you know, yes, you can train mentally to a certain point, but you'll never be put through kind of the the stressful and the the scenarios that, that essentially the special forces go through until you go on that show, and that's kind of the testing aspect of it. One of the most intimate parts of this episode was watching the sort of downtime, if you like. I mean, obviously, we were seeing people doing incredibly extreme things, but it was brushing each other's hair, you know, talking through what you needed to pack in your Bergen and, and making sure that people were sort of having touch points and looking after themselves. Were, were you keeping an eye out for those little things as well as how well people were doing on a larger scale? Yeah, you kind of want to see who works well in a team. Um, and the downtime's very important because if you, you know, my experience in the military, it's, you go out, you do your job, you come back, you have downtime, down especially on operations. That's pretty much the routine. Um, and during that downtime, you know, you have to prep kit, 
you have to prep for the next mission that you're going out on, you know, food, water, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're, you're looking for those people that kind of pull the weight for the rest of the team. So they're organizing the food, you know, they're chopping, you know, on the show, it was chopping the firewood. Who's doing that? When, when the, when it's pissing down with rain outside, who's going outside to chop the firewood? Who's looking after the chicken? But surely the, the recruits know that they're being looked at all the time, though. So you don't think that people could pretend to be a good bloke, you know? Kind of... Yeah, but you can spot that a mile off. Do you reckon? You know? Yeah, you've got DS watchers. All right, okay. Um, you know, you must have seen it <laughs> yeah. um, when you went on it. It's like yeah. people, as soon as it's like they're the worst person ever, like when the cameras are off and no one's there, but as soon as the, the DS turn up, yeah, they, you know, they grab the axe, start chopping the firewood, okay. make sure the fire's okay, checking people's feet. Mm. Um, but it's like it's like a relationship, isn't it? A relationship doesn't break down because of one thing. It breaks down because they don't empty the dishwasher. You know, it's the it's the little things that will drive you mad in, in camp and during recruitment time. It's the person who doesn't chop the wood. It's the person who leaves the blooming door open and all the heat is going out because I spotted I that. that. I, I that, spotted yeah. that right away. I was right next to the door talk me through the the bonds that you make in the camp and how you take that experiences of, of forming friendship groups and and making relationships and taking that back into your normal life as a recruit you've got to forge friendships and personally i i gravitate towards strong characters naturally uh, and gravitate away from kind of weak people um but what in your mind is weak? Is it a physical thing or just someone who's yeah, someone who's loud or quiet or I think just coming from you? like an ex special forces background, I, I look for people who who tick them those qualities as, of a special forces soldier. So, you know, a weak person is those things that we didn't that we mentioned before, kind of not pulling his weight, not emptying the dishwasher. Um, you know, physically, mentally, um, and kind of the, the stronger people are those people who kind of look after the group, integrate well, sociable, um, pull the weight when needed, you know, can lead, can direct. Those kind of those kind of characteristics I naturally gravitate towards anyway. How does that translate into civilian life? Because all of us will have at some point had to work with someone or alongside someone that we don't necessarily get along with, or you've got a family member that, you know, you, you can't walk away from them. How does that translate? How do those skills translate? I mean, it, it depends on what your outcome is, what you want the outcome to be with that relationship. And, you know, if you want, if it's a family member and you've got to deal with them, a bit of patience, uh, understanding their situation and, you know, why why they annoy you or why they piss you off. But do you, get, do you find you get less tolerant for, because, again, you can't walk away from family members, but you might have a, you might have a family member that you consider weak now that you've joined the special forces. And, yeah, but you know it's what a I mean. Family member. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, maybe a, a, an in-law. Like my mum can't. An in-law that KG, you can't yeah. stand. Or something. <laughs> so this is something that we're going to be doing each week, and it is dear DS, and you know who better to ask than incredible guys like yourselves who have been through ridiculously hard circumstances and how you can translate those experiences into real life. So the first question I want to ask you is this. Dear DS, if the zombie apocalypse was about to start and you were at home, what household item would you immediately grab? <laughs> zombie apocalypse is about to start. Bottle of whiskey. Um... <laughs> 
your faces when you I <laughs> thought, you thought just... these were serious questions. <laughs> <laughs> they are serious. <laughs> My girlfriend. I've... Oh, that's not what to hold her in no, front of you nice like a human it. shield. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In that case, I have to say, my son. <laughs> Quite embarrassed. I didn't think of that one earlier. <laughs> well, she'd be useful, wouldn't she? <laughs> yeah. uh, but seriously, guys, you can what happens? Okay. I think. I mean, personally, I think a knife comes before anything. Yeah. If you've got a knife, from a survival perspective, you can start doing anything. You can make tools, you can do this, that, and the other. Um, I think as a, as a very, very basic, if you can only eat one thing, I'd, yeah. go, I'd go for a knife. Yeah. It's only one item, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. Well, if he's got a I'll... knife, what would you grab? Um, I've got your fucking knife, mate. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um, a spatula? A spatula? Can I say knife? Yes. You Isn't can going to wrestle me into the ground and steal my fucking knife. Yeah. <laughs> a big knife. Sure. A bigger knife. Yeah. Okay. A sword. <laughs> I don't know what kills zombies, so. <laughs> well, apparently just stabbing them through the head. Do you, with, if you watch Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you, Andrea. <laughs> you take me, yeah. <laughs> Screw the knife. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Um, dear DS, uh, I'm heading to a new job where for the first time I'm going to be team leader. Uh, what's uh, the first thing that I should do when I start? This doesn't involve zombies. This is a real life question. I guess, um, you know, communication is probably a, a really important aspect of being a team leader, um, getting to know your group. So personally... You know, she's never met anyone. Personal relationships and, and trying to build them are very important. So, yeah, just trying to talk to the group, get to know them. And, and it's a chance for the group to get to know her as well. So communication. I agree with that totally. I, I think honesty. I think um, there's so many people in this world who think, oh, I'm a leader, now I need to act like a leader and I need to present a certain version of myself. But people do see through that very quickly. So I would just say, look... Again, it is slightly communication, but just be yourself with each person. If you're a decent person, the thing I was annoyed with, got annoyed with about certainly my regiment in the army is that the sort of the officer um, soldier relationship, even in a golf tower in Northern Ireland, I was required to enforce that they would call me sir. And I always thought, this is nonsense, isn't it? You know, like if. If I've got the leadership skills needed to lead these guys, then they should be able to call me Ed and there shouldn't be any dramas here. So I think if you are confident, certainly if you're confident in your own abilities, just being yourself and um, they will soon realise that you're a good person and then they'll want to follow you. And I think if you're leading, you don't want to do it because people are told to lead you. You want to do it because people want to lead want to follow you I suppose yeah. I think that's really good advice and that goes right the way through whether it's joining a new school or you know taking on a new job actually that goes through all age groups and demographics and everything isn't it just be yourself so finally I want to ask you both uh, obviously it's that time of year what's your advice to people who have made New Year's resolutions how do you stick to them I'd say pick realistic ones that you can actually stick to I think that's really good advice. I'm, I think this is probably why I wasn't in the SAS. Is <laughs> that I never do stick to them. <laughs> so you're asking, you're asking the the non special, the non elite part of the military here, and and I'm I'm the guy that come February goes out. Oh, it doesn't really matter, does it? So um, don't ask me. Ask him. <laughs> I th- I th- yeah, I think even if you don't stick to it, I think you know making an intention of picking something to do better in yeah. is good all around. Um, because, yeah, you might not necessarily stick to it that year, but the following year, you've almost 
set that intention to whatever it is, eat less junk food or, you know, lose weight, put on weight, whatever. It's like the next year will come around and it's still ingrained in your head. I think so just making those, it's, it's all about making steps towards having a better life, isn't it? So, okay. you know, the smaller steps you can make, the better, really. Nice. I'll do what he does. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. As much as it pains me, it's time to voluntarily withdraw from this week's episode of Back to Base. Thank you to all my guests and to you for listening. Remember to tune in to SAS Who Dares Wins next Sunday on Channel 4 and then head to your podcast platform of choice straight after, where you'll be able to find a brand new episode of Back to Base. See you next week. The SAS Who Dares Wins Back to Base podcast is produced for Channel 4 by Little Dot Studios and brought to you by Mitsubishi. The podcast show is produced by Annie Hughes, Joe Greenway, Harold McShiel and Jake Cunningham and edited by Steph Watts and Mike Munzer.